Amen. So good evening, everyone. Good to see you again. Nice to see some of you have come back. Always encouraging for the speaker. A couple of agitators at the back. That's fantastic. Good to see you guys. Um, uh, so I said this morning, uh, Kevin um, said uh, you can speak. I can speak on whatever I wanted to speak on. And so uh, I chose to speak on food, you will remember, my favourite subject, or one of my favourite subjects. And um, we looked at uh, the meals, some of the meals, or one of the meals this morning, uh, that Jesus had uh, with some people. And this evening, we're going to look at another meal that Jesus was uh, involved with. And uh, we are going to look at that in Scripture, first of all. So if you have a, a Bible with you or you have some kind of device, uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 7. Uh, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 36, and we're going to go through to verse 50. So if you have that in front of you, you can follow along with me. Luke 7, verse 36 says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and she has wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to uh, imagine for a moment uh, that you have um, been invited uh, to a posh dinner party. I don't know whether you get invited to posh dinner parties very often, but if you don't, you'll have to imagine even harder. Uh, the host is uh, a local uh, church leader, and he's invited you and he's invited other guests uh, to meet uh, a visiting preacher. 
And you've heard a lot about this visiting preacher. You've heard a lot about his uh, radical views. Uh, And everybody seems to be talking about him. And you're curious to find out more. And so you gladly accept this uh, invitation uh, to dinner. And halfway through the meal, or thereabouts, the doorbell uh, rings. And the uh, host's wife... Uh, goes to answer it, and there are some uh, raised voices you can hear uh, at the front door. And then all of a sudden, into the room, bursts a woman. And obviously, it becomes very clear straight away that she is not one of the invited guests, that she hasn't turned up late to dinner. Uh, She's wearing the kind of clothes that you would expect Uh, a woman standing on a street corner late at night uh, to be wearing. But as you look at the woman more closely, you can't help but see that she has been crying. There is mascara flowing down her cheeks. And the room is silent, and the host and his wife are mortified. Uh, And they try to usher the woman out of the room, but... She makes a beeline for the visiting speaker or the visiting preacher. And then everybody in the room gasps in horror as she throws his arms around him and she mumbles something like, I'll always be yours. And by this time, you can imagine, can't you, that everybody is wishing that the floor would would swallow them up. What a terrible thing for this man to have to deal with. How embarrassing all of this must be for him. But then instead of pushing the woman away in disgust, he he, he puts an arm around her and in the most gentle of voices says something like, and you're mine. And in the stunned silence that follows, everybody in the room is thinking the same thing. Doesn't this man know what kind of woman this is? Not only is this woman's actions completely inappropriate, but also his actions appear to be completely inappropriate. I mean, it looks for all the world as if actually he is one of her clients. Such is the intimacy that she is showing him and he is showing her. Such is the familiarity between the two. Now, perhaps that gives us a kind of a a modern-day take on the account, on the dinner party that we've just read about from Luke chapter 7. I mean, the scene, of course, would have looked a little bit different, but the... Uh, audacious actions of the woman and the seemingly inappropriate response of the visiting preacher and the the stunned disgust of the other guests would have been the same. And I want to look at two things briefly in this story tonight, and I'm just going to conclude. I'm not going to be too long tonight, famous last words. But firstly, I want to look at how Jesus welcomes this woman into his life. How Jesus welcomes this woman, this sinner, into his life. And then secondly, I want to look at how this woman welcomes Jesus 
into her life. And there's a reoccurring theme through, well, through the series that I've done in the past in my home church, and I hope you'll notice it from what we talked about this morning. There's this reoccurring theme of just how welcoming, of how radically welcoming Jesus is to those who are still outside of the kingdom. And it's an important theme that we see throughout these meals that we witness uh, with Jesus, just how radically welcoming Jesus is to those who are still outside of his kingdom. And this morning we thought, didn't we, about uh, Jesus' mission statement. We saw, didn't we, from Scripture that if Jesus had a mission statement, his mission statement was he came to seek and to save the lost. That's you and me, uh, by the way. And how did he do that? Well, then we looked at what his mission strategy seemed to be when we saw that verse, the Son of Man came. Can you finish it? Yes, but the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That was his mission strategy. If his mission statement was to come and seek and to save the lost, his mission strategy seemed to be the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus sat down with the lost, he sat down with the sinner, and he ate with them. Jesus, we said this morning, did evangelism, and he did discipleship over a loaf of bread, over a, a, maybe a bowl of olives, and over a jug of wine. That's how he did it. And while the religious hypocrites of the day would have nothing to do with these people, nothing to do with these people, Jesus ate with them. That is the ultimate display in an ancient society. That was the ultimate display of fellowship, of identifying, of acceptance of another person in an ancient society. Folks, we need to get this in our heads because this is so important what's going on here. There's a danger, you know, that we in the church can become scarily like the religious hypocrites of Jesus' day. We can so easily forget that Jesus once welcomed us. So easily can we forget that. Of course, we know we should welcome others but our instinct, isn't it, is to keep our distance. Our instinct is to bring the shutters down. Church can become very private. Church can become very private. Our lives can become very private. We know, don't we, that truly welcoming the stranger, welcoming the outsider, welcoming the marginalized into our lives will cost. And if we're honest, that cost just seems uh, too much. You know, I think, folks, few of us Christians realize just how exclusive our churches have become, just how exclusive our homes have become, just how exclusive our lives have become. Effectively, those places can become no-go areas apart from people like us, apart from people we are comfortable with. We are comfortable about being around. A few years ago, I remember walking into a small golf clubhouse. It was a members-only clubhouse. I didn't see the huge sign above the door. And I walked in, and of course, it was fairly clear in a small clubhouse like that that every member knew every other member. And it was clear that I wasn't a member. 
and the look I got was withering when I walked into that. I was made to feel incredibly uncomfortable about walking into that atmosphere. And, and the looks I got made me sympathize, I think, with perhaps some people's experience when they walk into church. So what about this meal? What about this second meal at the house of Simon, the religious leader? Well, we know the guests were reclining uh, around uh, a, a low table. They weren't seated. Uh, they would have been reclining. They would have been sort of leaning on their, on their elbows. And they would have been around this squat table, and they would have been around three sides. That's where the guests would have been, around three sides of this table, almost certainly. And the fourth side of the table uh, would, have been, would have been open. It would have been open for the servants uh, in this particular house to uh, serve the food. And large homes, and this we understand to be a large home, and Simon to be a wealthy or relatively wealthy uh, man, um, Homes in biblical times would have often included a kind of a semi-public area. Uh, this was an area where people could easily uh, come off the street and they could pay their respects to the owner of the house or they could do a little bit of business. Or even the poor might be able to come in and hang around for a few leftovers from the meal. So imagine the table, three sides, people reclining, open to the front, and then you've got this kind of semi-public area, kind of a courtyard, which would then open onto uh, the road or whatever was outside. So we can see how the woman in this story, having heard that Jesus was eating at the house of Simon, kind of loiters around for a bit, and then she makes her move uh, towards Jesus. In today's culture, of course, her actions would be interpreted as strange, her actions would be interpreted as, as weird. But in the culture of the day, we need to understand that what she did was shocking. It was utterly shocking. Um, to let down your hair in public would have been on a par with going topless in public. That's how shocking it was. What she was doing was culturally inappropriate on all kinds of levels. And although, of course, we're not specifically told it is very likely that this woman was uh, a prostitute and to those around the table it looked for all the world that she was treating Jesus as one of her clients and probably I would imagine that actually this was the only way that this woman knew how to relate to men such was her past and such was her abusive background no doubt but you know, for Simon and for the other guests, while the woman's behavior was shocking, Jesus' reaction to her was even more shocking. The extraordinary thing in all of this is that Jesus does not stop her, is that Jesus doesn't shun her, nor does he appear to be embarrassed about what's going on. What goes on here is, is socially awkward in the extreme, and yet Jesus doesn't doesn't appear to give a stuff about what it looks like. He doesn't give a stuff about his reputation. He doesn't give a stuff about what people think of him. His concern, which is extraordinary, his concern is with this woman. His concern is that this woman feels accepted and that this woman feels welcomed into his presence. Do you get what's going on here? 
I wonder if we get that radical message of grace that we spoke about this morning, the radical message of grace that's being portrayed here. Do you see what God's grace is doing at this table? God's grace is, is disrupting the norm. It, it kind of breaks with convention. God's grace unsettles. God's grace shakes us up and, and, it, and, it, and it pulls us out of our comfort zone. God's grace forces you and I, who may have been Christians for many years, it, it forces you and I to confront our misconceptions. It forces us to confront our prejudices. You see, to Simon, this woman was like an infectious disease. That was what this woman was like to Simon. Every part of him screamed, keep your distance. Stay away from me. Stay away from my house. Stay away and stay out of my life. But God's grace allows this woman to kiss the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace allows this woman to dry his feet with her long, uncovered hair. Do we understand the radical message here? the radical example of welcoming grace that Jesus is giving us. Jesus doesn't see a problem that needs to be managed in this woman. He sees someone who is hurting. He sees someone who is searching. He, he doesn't see a project in this woman. He sees a precious soul. He sees a precious part of God's creation. But Simon wanted to push her away. You know, the, the really uncomfortable thing for me in this whole account is that the person I most identify with is Simon. That's the person I most identify with. Part of me still says, stay away. I, I still have so much to learn about the grace of God. Jesus came eating and he came drinking with these people. As he did so, he identified himself with them. He welcomed them into his life and he welcomed them ultimately into his kingdom if they sought his forgiveness. It's a grace that is willing to identify with even the most marginalized in society. Do you see the amazing thing about God's welcoming grace? The marginalized cease to be, become or be marginalized when they are included around a meal table with Jesus. They are included. What does that mean for our churches? Folks, that means whoever comes through that door, whoever it may be, is given the same welcome that we would give our closest friend in church. But it's not just about welcoming them into this building. It's about welcoming them into our lives, as Jesus did. It's about welcoming them into our homes. And that is radical, uncomfortable grace. There's two sides to this story. There's a lot to learn about the welcome that, that Jesus gave this woman. But there is also actually much that we can learn about the welcome that this woman gave to Jesus which is perhaps something we hadn't necessarily thought of before. Let me ask you a question tonight. Have you truly welcomed the Lord Jesus Christ into your lives? Or here's another question. Have you truly 
understood what grace is. God's unmerited, undeserved favour. Do we truly understand what that is? In this story, the, the apparent host is this religious leader. It was at Simon's house. He is the apparent host. And uh, welcoming a guest, as you possibly know, into your house in biblical times would have included giving them water to wash their feet, uh, greeting them perhaps with a kiss. But we find out, of course, that Simon gives none of that and does none of that for Jesus. But the woman, Jesus tells Simon, has wet my feet with her tears. She has dried them with her hair and she hasn't stopped kissing my feet and has anointed them with oil. A guy called Tim Chester, who I mentioned this morning, says this, Simon was the host who wasn't really a host and the woman is the host who's not even a guest. <laughs> I'll say that again. Simon was the host who wasn't really a host and the woman is the host who's not even a guest. In other words, it was the woman who really welcomed Jesus and not Simon. Do you see that in the story? Why did she welcome Jesus like she did? Because she was in love with him. Not in a sensual, romantic, sexual kind of a way, but because this man was a man who she knew could bring her freedom. Freedom from the slavery and from the captivity of the life that she was living. As Jesus said in verse 47, after using a parable to illustrate, if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. And there are clearly some big differences between Simon and this woman. They obviously viewed Jesus very differently, but they also viewed themselves very differently. Simon didn't understand forgiveness because he had no sense. Simon had no sense as a religious leader of his need for forgiveness. As far as Simon was concerned, he was sorted. He was a good man. He was righteous. He was upright. What was going on here when it went completely over Simon's head? He just didn't get what was going on. The woman, on the other hand, has this overwhelming sense of brokenness. That her life was a mess. That the answer was only to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who welcomed her to the table warts and all. And so she welcomes him into her life with, with tears and with brokenness. Do we love Jesus like this woman loved Jesus? Have you truly welcomed Jesus into your life as this woman welcomed him into her life? I believe this woman's welcome is teaching us that we must, as a church and as a people, we must have a deep awareness of our own brokenness. Only when we have that deep awareness of our own brokenness, of our own sinfulness, will we be able to reach out and to minister to a broken world. How can we rightly convey a message of good news for the captives of release for the captives, of life to the full, unless we are thoroughly aware of our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and what God has done for us. How can we convey a message like that with any kind of conviction, with any kind of passion, if we're not aware of our own brokenness? What is this passage telling us? It's telling us that if we're not aware 
of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness, then we're just like Simon. The self-righteous, religious hypocrite. Simon's attitude towards this woman kind of exposes his heart. It shows us what Simon is really like. And difficult people have a habit of exposing our heart. Difficult people. Simon looked down on this woman. He thought he was better than she was. But of course, he wasn't. When we look down on people, we're like Simon. When we look down on people, we treat them like projects. We patronize, we condescend. That's what we do when we look down on people. When we don't welcome Jesus into our lives, Uh, with broken hearts, as this woman did, we're like Simon. We're like the religious hypocrite. If we're thinking that this story is about somebody else in the church, then we're like Simon. (laughs) We're the religious hypocrite. Involvement with people outside this church, outside God's kingdom, involvement with the marginalized must begin with this deep sense of God's grace to me, to Peter. Tim Chester again. Listen to this. We must know what it is to be melted and broken by the radical grace of God as this woman did. Only when we are struck with our brokenness and God's amazing grace as this woman was will our lives and our words really point others to Jesus. At Exford Community Church, where I'm, where I'm the pastor, we've been talking about authentic Christian community and, and what it looks like. And we certainly come to the conclusion that authentic Christian community must begin with the understanding that we are a broken community, that we are a broken people, a community of people gathered around the cross, as we've remembered this evening, because it's there that we're going to find healing And we're going to find forgiveness. Authentic Christian community comes through sharing our lives. It comes through sharing our brokenness. It comes through sharing our experience of of, of healing. When was the last time you had that kind of conversation with anybody here in the church? If we're going to do that, we need to open up our lives. We need to open up our homes. And we need to open up our dinner table to each other and those who are not yet in the kingdom. Private lives, I said this morning, private lives, private homes will never produce authentic Christian community. After finishing this series at Exwick Community Church, uh, a lady called Rita came to me. And Rita is 82 years old. And Rita hadn't entertained anybody in her house Uh, for years and years and years. And she says, this is something I really want to start doing. And she said, I don't really know where to start. She said, will you come and help me move a few pieces of furniture? And that's what I did. I went to her house. She had a small dining room that hadn't been used as a dining room for years and years and years. And we moved a lot of furniture out, a lot of craft stuff out, and a lot of this and a lot of that. And we put a little table in there. And she was ready to receive guests. (laughs) And she began inviting a couple of people from the church as her guinea pigs, she called it. And they knew they were. 
But then actually, since then, she's invited people from outside of the church. She's invited a friend, and she's invited a neighbor, and she's building from there. And I thought to myself, you know, if that's all the series produced in Exwick, then uh, I think it would be worth it. But, you know, I long to see more of that. I can't speak for your church because I don't know you that well, but I long to see more of that in Exwick, more of that willingness to open up our lives and move towards that genuine Christian community. It's what the early church did. They shared meals together. They met together. They did life together. And you know what the Bible says about that? People were attracted to that. People were compelled by that kind of community. And that's what God calls us into, that we might have opportunities to share our brokenness and God's grace with those who come into our hearts, into our lives, and into our homes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for what it teaches us. Uh, Lord, we thank you this evening for its challenge. Uh, Lord Jesus, you always challenge us. And sometimes we forget the kind of challenges that you give us from your word. We forget what you did. We forget just how radical you were. We forget just how forgiving you were. We forget, Lord Jesus, just how far you went upon the cross that our sins might be forgiven and we might be restored into relationship with Almighty God. Lord, give us a sense, we pray, of our own brokenness and a renewed appreciation of your grace in our lives, we pray. In your name. Amen.